I, I think the poet or the filmmaker or the musician, the poet must not avert his eyes. You must not avert your eyes. This is what is coming at us. podcast that has the gall, the gall, to tell you what you should be watching. Who the fuck are we? Don't we know the pressure you're under? Unbelievable. I'm Paul Salt. I'm good film boy. <laughs> this week, one year on from the last time we attempted to do such a thing, we wow. are going to recommend some more movies that we think you might have missed. Because uh, of your busy, busy schedule. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've got a job. <laughs> oh, I support a family. I have loved ones to see. <laughs> oh, Whoa, look at this guy. <laughs> look at this not going to the cinema three times a week guy. <laughs> Asshole. Um, Save us. Last year we recommended an obtuse Canadian nightmare, an epic Serbian romantic comedy, and the complete works of two perverted Englishmen, one of whom is now working on a film titled Colin, you anus. So, what have we got (laughs) to store for you this time? Oh boy, no one can wait. (laughs) Peter Greenaway's Colin, you anus. (laughs) (laughs) Many would say it's his swan song. (laughs) Others say it's what we're all waiting for. (laughs) Before we start, how are... Our good listeners to be expected to keep up with the hustle and bustle and fussle and fizzle of modern movie making. The constant slew of content that's constantly flying at their face and balls. It's all too much, isn't it? Well, this is uh, this is kind of what's been happening to me with music recently. And I always yeah. said that it would never would. You did always say that. Yeah, I, I, I really thought that, you know... I'd be able to keep on top of things because, mm. you know, I was going to, I was pretty sure I was going to be a student forever and... Yeah, it looked likely. Yeah. I mean, student unemployed, <laughs> many would say. What's yeah. the difference? Just subsuming um, on toast and the yeah. residue of toast. <laughs> Apparently you don't get quite as big a um, stipend from the government for being unemployed, but <laughs> fingers crossed, 2020. <laughs> 22? Who knows? But um, when Jeremy Corbyn but that... leaves Britain dejectedly and becomes Prime Minister of Australia on a platform <laughs> of kangaroo racism. Kangaroo acceptance. <laughs> Those hopping bastards have had enough of them. <laughs> kangaroo punches and uh, koala chlamydia. Yeah. Not enough, he says. Koala, 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 koala chlamydia. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you came up, you came, came up with that off the cuff. <laughs> no, I prepared it last week. What the <laughs> fuck was I doing? Damn. I um, <laughs> look, we'd had this conversation already a year ago now. Anyway, um, look, so so it did happen with music, and so so I can, I can understand how it would happen with film, unless it's kind of your unpaid job. It's yeah. Unpaid, but it is a job. It is a job. Yeah. To yeah. talk about movies on it's a more weekly a calling, basis. I think. Yeah, a sort of mecca type, <laughs> you know, goal, end goal. Where's Justifies he, the means. Where's he going? The swarm needs me. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't walk into the hedge like that. I, th- I think the best the best way to deal with it is to is to not worry about it too much. Yes, because I mean, even even for you, and I think the the frequency with which we b- 
both of us watch movies. Uh-huh. They're vastly different. The chasmic difference <laughs> um, in Ooh. our movie watching rates. Sure. How, how do I get over that myself? I don't really... Because first I have to get over the torrents of abuse that you send to me on a daily basis for true, yeah. not being able to discuss the latest, uh, <laughs> the latest orthodoxy Russian masterpiece. It isn't from the future. Yeah, well, I can I can understand I can understand exactly how. I mean, really, isn't isn't the lesson just to just to appreciate the the nuggets that you come across? Really, aren't we all film? Aren't we all the films here? <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know, I know one thing's for sure. I know film wins. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> Who wins here? Cinema. <laughs> no, so I said my last divorce <laughs> hearing. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll never see all of the films that I want to see or feel like I should see, or mm. you know, just generally should, according to um, the gods. I have an Ingmar Bergman box set back at the um, back at the ranch. And it has yeah. about 32 films in it, which is half of his total output. So there's probably even <laughs> okay. some gems hidden away in the ones that aren't in this yeah. fucking box set. Daunting in itself. Yes. And I've lit- yeah. I haven't cracked it open yet. I've had it since February. Um, and it's, wow. it's on the shelf next to the box set of the original Planet of the Apes movies. The original five mm-hmm. that I haven't opened either. Um, uh-huh. And the, ho- Pow- the Howl and Pressburger. It was when Powell and Pressburger turned into werewolves. <laughs> And they made two films. I haven't watched either of them either. <laughs> um, Gosh. Quickly tries to figure yeah. a werewolf pun on a Powell and Pressburger film. It's not coming. It's just, you can't force it, you know? <laughs> Sometimes yeah, no, it, you get koala chameleon. Chlamydia. Uh, <laughs> Other times. You're stuck with Howl and Pressburger. <laughs> That's and the way life works. With that. No, but, I mean, I, I, I sympathise, man, really, because um, here, Nell's sister lent us a copy of 2017's Ghost in the Shell, and I haven't seen that yet, so... I wouldn't be too uh, apoplectic. No, no, no. What, what, what I'm saying is um, your 32 in my Bergman films is, is the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. One of our aircraft. I'm the victim here. Uh, after all, aren't I the victim here? <laughs> At the end of the day. So we're going we're gonna to stand here and we're going to... Um, we're we are bo- standing. We're going to stand here and we're also not going to stand. Paul insists on it. <laughs> my knees hurt, Paul. No. Cinema insists. You show the Queen's respect. <laughs> as both of our nations must apparently do. For reasons <laughs> yeah. unbeknownst to us. Call that a bow. <laughs> you call that an erection. Um, <laughs> you don't know how to queen. Uh, <laughs> dumb. Uh, you're not a proper Englishman. <laughs> My father's rod was turgid. <laughs> And immovable. <laughs> All the way through the so immovable. Like a fucking mud bottom river. <laughs> We're going yes. to talk about some films that we've really enjoyed that we think public will also enjoy. To public. And I guess the thing is, we're not doing this just sort of add more shit to the pile that, you know, already has Jessica Jones season two on it. All of Stranger mm. Things. And that book that you, you. wrote but didn't read. Just all the shit. You haven't seen Infinity War yet. It's too much. We know that. Yeah. You know, new Kanye album. It's an exciting time for everyone. There's a lot going on. There's so much going on. and All taps are on. What we're just doing is, we're just floating some ideas in the hopes that you might hear it and think, actually, that's quite good. (laughs) And then you'll go away with your Michael Mm Caine self 
and you'll watch it and you'll really enjoy it and then you'll tell us and that'll validate the years we spent wasting fucking time staring at a little glowing screen with tiny people on it yeah it's all well and good saying that that's what we're doing but when we are just coming into someone's house at night <laughs> kicking over their pile of to watch dvds <laughs> i'm leaving a pristine copy of the forbidden room yep <laughs> sellotaping it to their face so that when they wake up it's the only thing they can see <laughs> So let's get on with it. Um, my first recommendation that I wholeheartedly recommend to everyone, unlike the other recommendations, <laughs> is Noah Baumbach's 2005 The Squid and the Whale. Your mom and I, we're going to separate. I've got you Tuesday, Wednesday, and every other Thursday. Well, what about the cat? The cat? We didn't discuss the cat. Starring Jeff Daniels, Laura Linney, Jesse Eisenberg, and some other people. I think William Baldwin's in there. Oh, and Anna Paquin from the X-Men. Anyway, it's... Um, in my opinion, Noah Baumbach's best and uh, first, maybe first, <laughs> In my maybe opinion, second. It's his <laughs> first film. It's the firstest yes. film he ever made. <laughs> it's definitely the Noah Baumbachiest, yeah. I think, or the least. Either way, it depends. It depends, depends how you feel yeah. about Noah Baumbach. Exactly. Yeah. In in with with the exception of the the Meyerowitz stories, the ones that I've seen haven't been a haven't been an enormous fan. But, well, um, I think we both went to see American Mistress, and we were very surprised at how much none of us liked it. <laughs> yeah. Um, none just, of us implies more than both of us. Well, we had a third. We, 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 a, just, we felt the dislike of the world. <laughs> we had a Mr. X with us, and he didn't like it either. Yes. Um, no. And, yeah, I had only... je detest, he said. He's yes, from Belgium. He is from Belgium. Oh, God, people are going to be able to work out the identity of Mr. X, especially since that's the first letter of his name as well. <laughs> it's not as anonymous as it seems, guys. <laughs> Mr. X Xavier. Um, <laughs> X dot. You'd find. Telling me there's only one Xavier in Belgium. <laughs> it's loaded with the fuckers. <laughs> Crawl Too many. Up. It's why we. It's why we're friends with this one. They kicked him out. <laughs> it's like I'm sorry. We've done the maths. We've won too many. We're gonna need you to go to no. England with all the pools. <laughs> no. I kick him off on a raft. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Mad, he says. Oh, God, what happens now? We're going to go see American Mistress. <laughs> is that what it's called? Or is it Miss America? Or is it Mistress, Mistress America? Mistress America. Mistress America, That's starring Greta Gerwig. Yes. Um, new, new holder of best director ever. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what made Lady Bird such a, such a wonderful surprise, is because I've thoroughly disliked everything that Greta Gerwig's been in until that moment. It turns out she's a fucking genius. Yeah, you hadn't seen Frances Ha. And I have also seen While We're Young, which is also very good. So I, I think okay. actually American Mistress for me was just the exception. Um, okay. Mistress I, did, American, I tried to watch fuck. Greenberg. Oh, I haven't seen Whatever. Greenberg. I tried to, tried to watch Greenberg. It was thoroughly irritating. Lovelet. Lovelet? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of Lovelet, the squid and the whale. Um, it's... it's he, he, he's been a long-time collaborator or friend of Wes Anderson and you can kind of see similarities in in this it's, in that one yeah it's about these it's about these two young boys who are dealing with their parents divorce in mm. um Brooklyn in the 1980s and it's 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 wonderful for so many reasons Jeff Daniels plays the dad he's mm. um a one-time author um who's sort of losing his his sway amongst his fans and he's 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 not quite reconciled with his dwindling fame mm. um he's a he's a professor of english lit and uh he's he's taking he's taking praise where he can get it from his students and uh and, and things like that and his wife played by laura linney has just 
had a book published or is having a book published. I thought that was heading towards it's... enough of his shit. <laughs> no more well, I mean, what you're doing. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the writing process and her capacity for Jeff Daniels is shit. They're both, you know, it's <laughs> equal Jeff Daniels cor- positive correlation. Pretty low. Yeah, exactly. They're positive correlation. And <laughs> ar- around the time she gets this, she gets this book published, Jeff Daniels just becomes bitter and snide and they they divorce and it's about these two people jeff daniels this really immature um <laughs> just sort of selfish but in like terribly insecure guy mm. and the mum who's who's sort of having an okay time with it just clashing and the effect that it has on the kids jesse eisenberg yep. plays this really he's he's he seems really conceited and arrogant, but really he's just he idolises his dad. Yes. Never. He can't play that. <laughs> I know. Weird. But um, it's like, he's like Michael Serra. Just what a range. <laughs> but again, this is Jesse Eisenberger is Jesse, Jesse Eisenbergist. He's, he idolises his dad and to, to a fault, uh, you know, uh, which, you know, when your dad is a bit of a bore, it's always going to be a fault, isn't it? Yeah. But it's it's how this is affecting how he has deals with his relationships romantic and other um and his sort of his coming of age and then his younger brother played by played by owen klein apparently, right. uh being at a younger more formative age takes it really really badly and mm. sort of just goes reeling off and in crazy directions um there's 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 not much more to it plot wise except for, well except for the sort of myriad events that happen in a rocky heartrending breakup it's it's really really real i'd say the characters are very much larger than life but yeah. there's 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 truth in all of them um mm. there's such a clash of personalities in this um it's really funny it's so funny just watching jeff daniels bluster and blag his way through life yeah as as this guy of fading importance it's sad it manages to mm. manage to, to properly you know do a film about divorce yeah, it's it's a really good film. It's it's one I didn't anticipate necessarily liking when you lent it to me back in the day, um, because I wasn't you think at, indie quirk fest. Yeah, I wasn't at that stage into indie as as I am now. Comedy, indie comedy. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was really surprised by how accessible the characters were and how interesting the sort of dilemma that they're experiencing is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All that work I did at the end of our marriage, making dinners, cleaning up, being more attentive, it never was going to make a difference. You never made a dinner. I made burgers the time you had pneumonia. <laughs> Okay, well, my first one is Christine. You okay? Do I not seem okay? Maybe you can get us some footage of the chickens having sex so people can see how the eggs are really made. That's a joke. (laughs) What is this? What are you doing? I've just been thinking a lot about your idea of uh, sensationalizing the news. I'm agreeing with you. Uh, Not the one, Mm. not the 80s movie about a killer car. Written by Stephen King. Uh, this is <laughs> 2016's Christine. Um, and it is the story of Christine Chubbuck. And if you don't know the sensationally tragic story of Christine Chubbuck, I would urge you not to Google it before watching this film. Because the actual story is, I don't know, often treated as a very morose piece of trivia. You know, you'll find it on the mm. list of um, famous somethings on Wikipedia. And it's it can be boiled down to a sort of bite-sized, shocking thing that Christine did. Um but watch the film instead, because although it takes some liberties with her actual life story, it provides a much more considered impression of her life and what she went to and what led her to do the terrible thing she did. So mm. it's the story of um, Christine, played by Rebecca Hall. 
um, and she is a news reporter in the 1970s, working for a very small news station. A big-time news producer is coming to find out if one of the reporters should be sort of on national news. That's putting a lot of pressure on Christine, and her um, higher-ups within the news um, station are telling everyone that they need to find more sensational stories because this is back in the days when you know the person who reads the news actually would go out and research stuff and that might still be the case i don't know geraldo it's the geraldo days and um i see christine wants to be the next geraldo she starts taking her manager's message on board the idea of sensationalism she buys a police scanner she starts listening to it and the cops sort of talking somewhat hideously between themselves about their job christine is experiencing depression and the people around her will put it onto sort of anything that they can. They'll say, oh, you just need a man. Or they'll say, you just need to right, you know, okay. try harder at work. Or you need to take more time off from work. Or you just need to eat some ice cream now and then. Or come with me to my special therapy group and we'll play the yes but game where we'll fix all your problems. And <laughs> nobody's listening to her. Nobody's just okay. fucking finding out what it is she's so stressed about and just giving her space. Um, and so she's feeling pulled in every direction and the film is, you know, building and building to the event, um, mm. we eventually get to. So in spite of all of this, being a film about depression and about the sensualized, sensationalizing, why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it starts here, folk, in your favorite, most <laughs> awkward word ever. <laughs> sensationalizing. There you go. I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say podcast. <laughs> 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 oh, it got good when they introduced sensationalizing as a recurring phrase. <laughs> That'll be our catchphrase that all our live shows start with. Really play to their strengths. <laughs> it's about the sensationalizing of the news. Oh, yeah, okay. So it has the potential to be very, you know, downbeat. But it's actually, it's really energetic in the way it moves. And it's really hmm. funny in places. Very darkly funny in terms of okay. how aw- how awkward Christine's interactions tend to be with people. Mm. Um, some of which, you know, are true to life because you have like some very, near the, e- near the end of things, there were some very awkward um, uh, interviews that she had with people where suddenly she's, it's like a very shy and introverted person trying to be a sort of talk show host. Um, and it okay. leads to some really uncomfortable moments, but in a sort of um, darkly comedic way. Um, but at the heart okay. of everything, the thing that drives the whole thing, Rebecca Hall as Christine, it's, I really like Rebecca Hall and I think this is the best performance mm. she ever gave. Um, she disappears into the role. Um, the voice, the way she carries herself and the film cool. is really good. <laughs> it sounds, I mean, it sounded to me like a really claustrophobic, intense yeah. character study, but so I'm surprised to know that it's comedic as well, but is it sort of schadenfreude or yeah, it's definitely humour? It is in that respect. It's it's it is a sort of dark character study, and it can be fairly intense um, in terms of just being inside of her head and her life, and just mm. just wishing she could fucking get away from all the things that are sort of really negative, mm. negatively influencing her. But of course, part of depression is that you don't necessarily recognise the um, the triggers that you're you know going back to over and over again. Of course, yeah. Um, but yes, it does have that sort of comedy just to sort of alleviate things. Um, and to um because that's just life i guess this that yeah you know and the number of comedians who sort of experience depression is that people the thing people like about christine is that she'll say the thing and she's a very charismatic character as well and she'll say the thing that sort of nobody else would say and she has this great sense of integrity that she doesn't want to be reporting on sort of sensationalist stuff and just listening to this police Mm. scanner um 
but she's also like quite Bruce Almighty. Like Bruce Almighty, but she doesn't have mm-hmm. divine powers bestowed by Morgan Freeman. Why not? Huh? <laughs> Me? Answer that, Morgan Freeman. Why don't you try to adopt a baby? Yes, but I've always wanted to have a baby, and I've always wanted to have a husband, and I've always wanted to have a job where I can do the work that I want to do. Why don't you manage your expectations? Maybe um, adjust your thinking. I don't know. I don't. I don't understand the question. Ah, good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Check out Christine. Hardcore Henry from 2015. Okay. Well, the good news is that you're going to live a while. The bad news is there's an army standing between you and your wife. So let's go get her. Fuck yeah. Yes. This was directed by Ilya Nyshiller. Mm. I think yes, and this is a, a film, as I'm sure some of you already know, that is shot uh, solely f- uh, from the first person perspective. Mm. Uh, it's about a guy called Henry who's resurrected from death with no memory, and he's got to save his wife from a telekinetic warlord with a plan to bioengineer soldiers. Uh, the plot is uh, incidental, yes. I think, to <laughs> to the main thrust of the film, which is first person, almost indestructible superheroes running around. Yeah. with a gun in front of him 99% of the time yeah just getting into more outlandish and explosive scrapes um followed by Charlotte Copley yes. at every turn um <laughs> who carries the film isn't the, the right thing to say because the film was really exciting and visceral yeah and full throttled as well but Charlotte Copley is just fucking perfect in it I think he's, he's what makes he's, it more than just a sort of gimmick and a great action yes. movie he puts some heart yes, into it agreed agreed he's he's uh he's got all these different personalities that he's switching <laughs> switching between over and over and over again and yeah. it just it just up it ups it in terms of surrealism ups it in terms of comedy and yeah. um i mean chateau cop is just a joy at any point there isn't much more to say about it i think it's um it's neville dean taylor's wet dream and <laughs> the 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 metal soundtrack yeah. is hilarious the violence <laughs> is ridiculous yeah um just when you think that it can't go any more extreme it does and it really doesn't disappoint with the ending yeah <laughs> it's, it's 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 very much a oh i think you've seen everything have you oh, well how about this <laughs> yeah sh- <laughs> i think this is what sharknado thinks it is in terms of like the constantly mm. escalating craziness and to the uh, a hilarious mm. degree and it'll always have time yes. for like a gag. Like I remember when he's just in a field. I think he's just fallen out of a helicopter, which looked <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah. And he finds a horse. And he just gets on the horse. And there's a few seconds of the Magnificent Seven theme. <laughs> and then he just yes, falls off and is. starts running instead. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It, it really is. And I mean, this revels in, in its absurdity. Whereas yeah. Sharknado is always nudging you and going, Hey, did you see that? It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> David Hasselhoff? Huh? <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Whereas this, yeah. whereas if they, yeah, if they, <laughs> listen to me for once, Nigel, for the 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 alternative for Hardcore Henry, if David Hasselhoff was in it, he'd 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 walk in and be like, hey, how can I help? And then they just fucking put him in through a thresher, and <laughs> then he'd dance in his fragments. It's 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 really good. It 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 may not appeal to to everybody. I can't think of anyone who wouldn't be in some way pleased by this. <laughs> Literally no one. Get your nan and your, <laughs> your gay lover and <laughs> your priest. 
<laughs> and your doctor. Diffic- a difficult life. <laughs> You'll have a complicated life. Please get in touch. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, do you know? Do you know what? How can Henry probably is for you? <laughs> exercise, exercise some demons, and <laughs> then a- your priest can also exercise some demons. Take an afternoon off, you know. All the yeah. shit you got going on. Yeah, maybe it is just you know. Don't show it to your gran. Don't show it to well, your two-year-old because you won't understand the the pure genius of Chateau Copley. But other than that, I mean, <laughs> it takes a while. I can't think. I can't think of. I can't really think of many of my friends who would think this is bullshit. I can think of one in particular who I did bring up in the the last the last time we did this. The one who oh, the one uh, that has to films. ask if this is a Paul film. Yeah, <laughs> she probably wouldn't like it. But yeah. other than that. You know, it's, it it really does have a lot going on, and it re- it just seemed to slip 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 by the radar there. It was during a very busy summer, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Not busy for me. It might have been the shadow of um, Age of Ultron and various other things that were going on. It was yeah. a, a Jurassic World, I think, was that year, and Terminator Genesis, which I know a lot of people, a lot of people, Paul, were turned out for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Lot of cues that summer. <laughs> As my father used to say, the grenade a day keeps the enemy at bay. Come along. My next one, Hard to Be a God. It's a three-hour black and white Russian. Hey, hey, come back. Hey. <laughs> oh, pool film. Это не Земля, это другая планета, такая же как Земля, но не догнавшая лет на восемьсот. This one might not be for everyone. This, in fact, this is probably my forbidden room of the year. Um, we all have a forbidden room of the year. The one film that you're not <laughs> going to convince any fucker to watch. Um, but it's worth a go. So, the story. A bunch of scientists from Earth have gone to a nearby planet that is exactly the same as Earth, except the Enlightenment, the uh, Renaissance, never happened. Um, and in Fuck fact, hell. there is currently, consequently, they are stuck in the Dark Ages, in the sort of medieval time. People live in castles, and there's a feudalist society based around dons. Um, the scientists are mm. tasked with disguising themselves as locals and trying to nudge society towards sort of enlightenment. Um, our main character takes on the guise of Don Ramata. And the movie starts with him having been there for quite a while. And he seems to have given up and just um, fully immersed himself in the filth and the madness of this world that we're living in. Um, he makes half-hearted attempts to find a doctor who we are led to believe is going to be an important character in the process of modernizing this world. But there is an anti-intellectual movement underway. And uh, intellectuals are being hung and sort of executed in these really awful ways. So he's really, and? he's just got to try and blend in more than anything else with the madness. But 
The film leaves it okay. ambiguous as to whether or not that's what he's doing, or if he has just in fact gone mad. So okay, it's it, it was a t- troubled production. Um, the director Alexei Gaman um, came up with the idea um, for uh, well, no, he he adapted the book by the Strig- uh, Strigatsi brothers, who sort of wrote things like the story behind Stalker, a very big Russian hmm. um, sci-fi authors. Um, Alexei Gaman wanted to direct it in the uh, 60s, finally got funding to do so in the t- in 2000, spent seven years shooting it, and then another eight years uh, editing it. Until shooting he- heroin. <laughs> shooting heroin and the crew. And then <laughs> he spent eight years editing it until he died in 2013 or 2012, maybe. God. Um, and his... His um, wife and son then came in to sort of finish it, Christopher Tolkien style. So God. it's a film that a man held on to for most of his career and never was ready to finish with it to, um, until it finally sort of killed him. Uh, not directly, but <laughs> but directly. The reels fell on him. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a film that he spent his whole life developing and working on, and I love it. Firstly, because of its world, which is this mm. absolutely fucking filthy place. There's mud <laughs> and shit and awful things everywhere. It's um, it's a view of medieval life that sort of brings to mind mm. um, Andrei Rublev, the Tarkovsky film, uh, The Seventh Seal. And also people have made comparisons to The Holy Grail. Because, I was just thinking yes. that when you said covered in shit. Yes, it's very much... The aesthetic is actually quite similar to that, but imagine it without the open fields. Instead, everything is set in sort of really small, messy rooms where food is sort of laid out right next to insect nests and, you know... Okay. And the sort of hole in the wall that people shit out of. And um, It's like the Bring Out Your Dead scene. It really is. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's very Terry Gilliam-esque because there's this wonderful strangeness to the way everything is designed. Sort of... Um, haphazard uh, improvised nature to the way things mm. work but then you'll just have our main character with his sort of resplendent beard playing a mysterious instrument that sounds like a saxophone dancing around the dining hall whilst people are sort of draining various things and lying dying in the, in the on the floor and it's just a it's an extraordinary film and the black and white photography makes the texture of all of this really yeah. quite visceral um, yeah, it's a. I get it, it is a tough watch, but the the style of the film is very dreamlike. It's very languid. The camera sort of drifts mm. and pokes around, almost as if it was another, a sort of invasive set of eyes. It's quite a claustrophobic film. You know, mm. we're sort of encouraged to sort of leer into this world and sort of experience his characters that way. But um, there's something about it that feels titanic, that feels huge. It's. It feels like one of the most important films made in the last decade that nobody's really talking about. It's yeah. a story about madness. It's about progress. Um, it's about mankind and the sort of traps that it falls into. And regarding the madness, there's something I've always found uh, intoxicating about real cinematic madness. And I felt this way about um, High Rise, the uh, Ben Wheatley film as well, which is when you yeah. see characters who are just going to fucking let loose and... Um, just behave to whatever whim comes their way. There's something just so purely addictive about it of just, oh, what they're saying doesn't have to make sense. They don't have to listen to each other. They don't have to do anything. They're yeah. just fucking mad. But yeah, you kind of get why Dom Rumata ha- 
has been seduced by this world. The power he is given, the um, he's a very eccentric character who sort of is very playful. At one point, he just there's a very solemn scene where a bunch of men are coming out to um, begin a um, I think it's when they're begin about to begin a march to another place in order mm. to find a swordsman who might know where the doctor is. And his squire comes out, sort of overburdened with all the swords and stuff that he has to carry with him. Mm. And Don Ramasa just comes out holding a mouse, which he just shoves into somebody's shirt. Just some random passerby. And then sort of squirms. And he doesn't even laugh. He just turns and walks away, having done it. And it's it's that sort of mischievous yeah, thing okay. that he's got going on. Mischief with the audience as well as the, the townsfolk. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, why not? The townsfolk are all fucking... Yeah bleak and you know apes <laughs> it's very unlikely that an action will lead to a consequence in this world um which disadvantages okay. you as well as advantages you because you might just be executed yeah. for no fucking reason <laughs> well why not throw a fish <laughs> it's just a very rich film right from the beginning it just absorbs you in yeah the the, the premise alone is just <laughs> fucking fascinating it's, it's one of those I, great I, sci-fi novel premises yeah i didn't realize what it was and when you mentioned the film i thought okay that sounds laborious in a good way you know like um like a like any good tarkovsky and uh but that premise is just incredible i, I really do want to watch it can you do me a favor and buy me this for my birthday please yeah. i will do that i'll see that well father's day is coming up and i've always thought of you as very much like a father in a um strictly beard having sense <laughs> a very secular sense <laughs> a very sexual sense Ooh, <laughs> yeah. heard it here first listeners no second sorry second yeah there was that time <laughs> i want to fuck my dad says <laughs> noted <laughs> podcast man <laughs> and a cl- noted disability pervert. advocate <laughs> acclaimed pervert and film critic <laughs> one and the same <laughs> that, that Venn diagram is just a circle. <laughs> that's, Mark, that's Mark Kermode. Yeah, we're, uh, we're coming for you, Kermode, is what I was going to say. Never mind. <laughs> I want to fuck my dad. Uh, Mark Hamill stars in Brigsby Bear. Look at the grazer bugs, James. They're out there every night. The difference is. We have dreams and imaginations to help us escape. But no one can take that away from you. Ever. 2017. Did mention it in the top 30 last mm. year, but didn't really have much of a chance to go into just why I loved it and think yeah. that everybody should see it. This is another one much like Squid and the Whale, actually. It's um, it's a bit of an indie quirk fest, but it's gone its own way. It's really blazed blazed a, a new trail it's blazed this, uh, a real saddle shitty murky rainbow road it has and <laughs> the 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 premise basically is um james is uh james has been brought up watching one tv show the brigsby bear adventures and uh he's, he's based his whole life around it basically he has the mythos for the brigsby bear verse pinned on his wall he's discussing it with his parents all the time who are also trying to get him to you know go back to his studies and mm. maths and science is very important and then his whole world is turned upside down uh when it tu- when it turns out that his world is just uh like containment center almost in the middle of the desert <laughs> it's turned been, upside down been... when the shipping container they're living in is turned upside down <laughs> upside down <laughs> yes but literally 
by the realization that uh, the people who thought were his parents, Mark Hamill and Jane Adams, are not his parents. Um, he was kidnapped as a child, and now he's going back into the the real world without his Brigsby bear. It's a lot like Room in that respect, mm. but plus bear. <laughs> and he's also seeing a social worker, and he's trying to acclimatize. Um, but obviously, most of Brigsby bear is spent on the outside as, as opposed to Room. Oh, spoiler. And he, um, but it's about him and his friends, his new friends, mm-hmm. trying to recreate Brigsby Bear because he's he can't really let go of that obsession. And it's about everyone sort of pitching in and helping him adjust to the world, but mm-hmm. also clinging on to this, this thing. And there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff with the relationship he has with his captor parents. There's an interesting relationship with them. Obviously, there's a lot of... Um, I was going to say Stockholm syndrome, but he wasn't mm. even aware that they'd ki- they were kidnapping him. So it's it's different to that. It's There's Blockholm a really Sting- syndrome. Blockholm syndrome. That's it. <laughs> Blockholm syndrome. Yes. <laughs> he, um, so 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 as well as as well as it being quite a cutesy mm. indie quirk fest of a film there's a really dark undertone there and there's a really sure. interesting sort of psychological element of this guy trying to adapt. He's he's a pure like total innocent who's just trying to make his way through this world and you know drug experiences and things like that it's really inventive in a michelle gondry sort of way with yes. the, the 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 way they go around they they go about recreating brigsby bear and it's it's ever so funny the mm. the way without being cringe humor yeah I was, I, I, I'm, which meant that i was able to enjoy it without feeling sick <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it's not just a case of oh he comes and he says something awkward and everyone's uncomfortable for the most part people really like him yeah with the exception of his terrible sister um who comes around yeah. but yeah yeah everybody just really finds him charming and the sort of insight that he has into um life yeah, exactly. Everyone's very accepting and just sort of happy to to work with that. Yeah. Greg Kinnear is in this as a detective Vogel, and he's sort of overseeing his his case and his reintegration into society. But he's also quite a sympathetic character who's yeah. also enabling him to like take Brigsby Bear stuff out of the evidence locker <laughs> and uh, and like chases Bliss. Is Greg Kinnear at his best? I think it's just ever so good. It's a feel-good film yeah, with some sort of dark, serious undertones. And it plays the two off quite nicely. Ultimately, just really good-natured. Yeah. Try to imagine a hero. He's not on the bad side. He's on the good side. Okay, my next one is Under the Silver Lake. Who moves out in the middle of the night? Nothing strange about it. I don't understand why she didn't tell me. Maybe she didn't like you. Maybe she knows you're poor and haven't paid your rent. Found some kind of code or like secret message in her apartment. It means to stay quiet. Our world is filled with codes, subliminal messages, from Silver Lake to the Hollywood Hills. Could any of this be connected to Sarah? Now, this one's a bit of a cheat because most of you haven't actually had a chance to miss it yet. Um, no excuse. I saw it at the Cannes Film Festival and was very excited about everybody <laughs> seeing it. <laughs> I was very yeah. excited about everybody seeing it and being able to talk about it with me. And um, oh, let's just, let's just check in on that release date. Oh, December. <laughs> Excellent. Oh. oh. Which sucks for me right. because I really do want people to see this. And if it is at the London Film <laughs> Festival, I am mm. I'm just going to fucking take everyone, uh, even you. And you're in Australia and I hate you. So... <laughs> That's Can't serious, wait to see how that's going to play out. <laughs> You'll just wake up on the plane. Um, 
I really just want to put this one on everyone's radar because I think it's really special. And I think the only two things that might do so otherwise is the fact that Andrew Garfield's in it um, and that it's from the director (laughs) of It Follows, which will mean a lot to a certain cult community. It meant a lot to me. Hmm. Even me. (laughs) Absolutely. So the star is. The star is? Yep. Story is. Yeah. The story of the star is of Sam. He seems affable, but he has a dark side. (laughs) Okay. Early on, he... um, yeah, he shows that he has a temper. He really likes his car and his flat, and he can't really afford to keep either. He seems He's unemployed. It's never really discussed why. And he becomes obsessed with his neighbor, played by, I hmm. don't know how to pronounce her name, Riley Koch, maybe. Sure. She was in Blade Co. Runner. Co? Yeah. Kyo. Let's go with that. Koff. <laughs> Koff. Riley Koff. He becomes obsessed with her. Uh, and then, mm. after they spend a night sort of half bonding, only not really, but it's, you know, it is for <laughs> Andrew Garfield, uh, she disappears. Yeah. And all sorts of weird shit's going on. Something to do with three mysterious girls who are always seen together, uh, who at one stage get onto a swan <laughs> boat in order to elude capture. There's a fucking guy in a pirate costume who's involved in some mm-hmm. way. Uh, there's a chick who... Does party tricks with balloons? Who's also involved? It it becomes madness and very strange. Okay, but um, it's got Andrew Garfield as this incredibly dynamic lead character who's just going to try and follow this case no matter how crazy it gets. And you can <laughs> yeah. always sort of rely on Garfield to have sort of realistic reactions to things. Um, he's a sort of constant for the audience. Except in Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> Indeed. In this, you can always rely on Garfield to have sort of... <laughs> oh, okay. You can rely on Sam Glorious. to sort of be the thing that grounds you as the world gets crazier and crazier. I get it. <laughs> um, and then you've got side performances that are fucking amazing. Um, Jimmy Simpson, who... Um, mm-hmm. I, ho- I don't know if people will know who I mean by that, but um, he's in Westworld playing the sort of young idealistic oh. one. He's, um, he's been yeah, around... Yeah, where do I know him from? He plays this sort of charismatic... House of Cards. Ah, that's, right. how, that's how I know him. He plays this really fucking charismatic guy. I'm trying to think of someone I could compare him to. Maybe Chris Evans' character from uh, Scott Pilgrim. Okay. He's just this sort of very... He's, he's a really funny but sort of really charismatic person, which I think is really cool. Um, the performances are quite eccentric, especially from the myriad women who um, Sam sort of encounters along the way. Mm. Um, Topher Grace is in this. Topher Grace is bar. in there. Yes. <laughs> How was he as a man at bar? I, I'm very convincing. I never doubted that cool. he was at that bar. Um, <laughs> there's just so many disparate elements working. It's like a pension novel, except with a consistent main character. So it's like Inherent Vice. Actually, Inherent Vice was something I thought about during the film because it has that sort of noir-style detective character who's sort of um, traveling okay. from place to place, um, encountering people, so... And trying to get to the bottom of a mystery, and the mystery does not disappoint. Um, throughout the whole thing, you're constantly thinking, well, what does this mean? What's that? And how does this fit into it? And then when you mm. find out what it is, it's pretty great. Um, the film is weaving a lore out of the various facets of L.A. mythos. Great. So you've got, like, conspiracy theories, urban legends, pop culture. At one point, there's an important plot point that involves Nintendo power. You know, comic books are in there. There's, um, it's just it, it all sort of melds together to form this universe that Sam explores in a desperate attempt to find, you know, his missing neighbor. 
Um, and some mysteries, and uh, there's one mystery in particular that's never quite explained. And um, that's one of the reasons I just can't wait for people to say it, to see this, so that they can share their own opinions on what this particular thing meant and if it was significant. Mm. But there's kind of an anxiety that builds up throughout the film as you get worried about you know things going too far or things becoming out of reach or you know what does this mean or is, oh god is the film not going to resolve this but almost all of the mysteries are resolved in a really satisfying way and one of the reveals that the film has regarding the uh songwriter one of my favorite things i've seen in a film in a long time like what's implied by that sequence is brilliant i love it <laughs> great um yeah just so many revelations throughout the film and it's just thoroughly entertaining as well. So mm. I hope I hope this will be seen. And I hope it will be reappraised because it's got somewhat middling reviews based on Cannes. Yeah. But I assure you, nobody knows what the fuck is going on at Cannes. So until this actually gets a release. I think it's promising enough that A24 have agreed to distribute it. Um, because their okay. fucking string of hits is ridiculous. Oh, and the well music's then. by Disaster Piece again. They did the music to it. Oh, follows. brilliant. Yeah. Well then, until <laughs> December, sir. <laughs> we shall pick this point up in December when everyone will have panned it as the biggest waste of fucking time ever put to celluloid and then I'll take that time that you've managed to put me on a plane to come over to England to watch it to also murder you <laughs> why do we assume that all of this information is what we're told it is maybe there are people out there who are more important than us who are powerful communicating things in the world that are meant for only them and not for us yeah Oh, you think that's weird? A little. Ah, okay. Now, we're going to do what we did last year. We are going to cover ourselves in jam and hurl ourselves down Lewisham High Street. Uh, It's going to take more more organizing, (laughs) but it's going to happen. Before we do that, we're going to talk about two filmmakers whose work we feel has been somewhat maligned in the public awarenesses. My pick is uh, a young man with a lot of hope in his pocket and cream. <laughs> but uh, he never mixes the two. It's, of course, Derek Sianfrance. Yeah, it is. Director of Blue Valentine, Place Beyond the Pines, and The Light Between Oceans. Also of Brother Tide uh, from yeah. 1998, which I haven't seen because yeah. I'm a hack. <laughs> the, but the, the first of his that I saw was Blue Valentine, and it's stuck with me ever since because it's just such a powerfully depressing, yeah. um, <laughs> yet, yet hilarious look. Mm. at the uh, the falling apart of a relationship. You got any, like, talents? Like hidden talents? Can you dance? You can tap dance? Can you? No. Here, I'll play a song and you dance. Okay. I can't really sing. I have to sing goofy in order to sing. Like, I have to sing stupid. Okay? Okay. It's a film that's... Um, it charts the getting together and breaking up of Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams. Um, if it feels real, that's because they were they were they lived together for a few months before filming. They weren't allowed to leave the house. I don't think <laughs> all that often. Um, what else you had to do and, with Derek Sian France? You don't want to tangle him. <laughs> he was just he didn't get off that front door, that front step, <laughs> not once. He's like Gaspar Noe, Noe but. Ugh, but Derek Sam France, you can imagine <laughs> such a thing. Ugh. So Blue, Blue, Blue Valentine, it has like just this amazing chemistry, and again, it's cla- it's claustrophobic because they're obviously in this terrible, falling apart, disaster of a relationship. But they've got yeah. a kid, they've got such great chemistry, and they they make each other laugh, and they clearly loved each other at one point. Mm. Um, but it's just 
unsalvageable. Yeah. And it's this this thing is picked apart, it's vivisectioned for us to see, and it's just done with such such feeling. Um I've seen it so many times now. Mm. I've recommended it to people in the past with mostly positive <laughs> not positive but you know like yes that was a good film paul thank you for showing that to me i quite enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> i love how there's no hope <laughs> but really reminded um, me of it's, that it's, bitch it's... michelle <laughs> williams <laughs> um yeah the, the the next one he did the place beyond the pines mm. how are you going to top blue valentine well with a two and a half hour sprawling film about 50 different characters the main yeah. of which are ryan gosling eva mendez bradley cooper and r- crazy creepy laugh man ray liotta can i give it to him you want to give him ice cream yeah i'm gonna do something with him that's his first time i'm looking his face when he tries ice cream every time he has ice cream for the rest of his life he's gonna see my fucking face <sighs> man this is uh, it tells it's it's a story told over a few generations. Uh, yeah. Ryan Gosling is a stunt rider who um, gets caught up in a, in some shady shit, and uh, with Ben Mendelsohn, <sighs> some Ben Mendelsohn yeah. shit, which you know is the Fucking shadiest. Ben Mendelsohn, Jesus, I forgot he was in that. <laughs> I just just remember what he looks like. <laughs> yeah. um, Bradley Cooper is is a cop who's sort of playing against Ryan Gosling, and uh, then he gets he gets wrapped up in something with Ray Liotta and then it goes on to the next generation of, of their kids and how they sort of deal with the, the fallout. There's a lot of, there's a sense of, there's a never endingness to the film. Mm. And um, there's a sense of fait accompli, I think to, mm. to this film, which is, you know, which is definitely a thing in life. And, and I think it was sort of, it slipped between the cracks for that reason. The narrative isn't um, a reliably start middle end narrative mm. um the, the the strength is completely in the, the characters there are some some moments in this uh, sp- specifically particularly with ryan gosling that just broke mm. my fucking heart into yeah. tiny pieces yeah um any scene of him interacting with a with a small baby human is just <sighs> god terrifying makes me want to makes me want to <laughs> take that womb that they're always trying to sell me around the corner and try and try and do something special with it it's um, but again, it's it's just painfully real characters, yeah. um, painfully real situations that just that it's it's just a million hearts breaking at once. Like I, yeah. don't, I don't know quite how else to say it. And then he did the light between oceans. Dearest Isabel, I can't stop thinking about the time I spent with you. Dearest Tom. When I first saw you, I felt like I knew you, and I couldn't stop seeing my life with you. Which yeah. was maligned. It wasn't really that well reviewed, and no. that was a real surprise. I yeah. remember coming out of it and really enjoying it. And about three months later, I was trying to—I was going to recommend it to Nell, and I went to you know link the Rotten Tomatoes page to it and realised that it had like actually bad reviews. Yeah. It was, it was bad. It was badly reviewed. It baffled me because this is this is a film about Michael Fassbender um mm. coming out of the First World War and yeah. he goes off to live on uh an Australian island to work in a lighthouse in Western Australia. And um the you know there are these themes of PTSD and the need for solitude and um finding solace in this yeah. this person halfway around the world uh played 
incredibly well by uh, Alicia Vikander. Yeah. And um, the the the, sto- the story is this this lonely sort of damaged guy and this um this woman meet they find out they can't have kids and then they find a baby um, that they decide to raise and uh, turns out that it is Rachel Weiss's baby and she wants it back for some reason. Mm. There's this this sort of overarching everlasting themes of of loneliness and this scrabble for meaning and trying to do something good with your life but. The, the forces of the, the world conspiring against you, I think. Yeah. And not that it's a bad thing or an evil thing, it's just the way of the world. And again, it's just so well realised in this film. There's some really amazing performances. Michael Fassbender, he just performs film in, film out. He's like Michael mm. Caine in The Swarm. <laughs> you can never really fault a Fassbender performance, can you? Um, Alicia Vikander and Rachel Weisz are just heartbreaking again. And Oh, man, I've just said it's heartbreaking so many times for Derek, Derek Sian France, but mm. he he does all of it without hyperbole, without without exaggeration, or embellishment. I haven't said how beautifully all the films are shot as yeah. well. Um, he's got such an eye for it. Um, I really can't wait to see what he's doing next. Mm. And speaking of what he's doing next, Metalhead, which yeah. is in post production. The story of a heavy metal drummer who blows his eardrums out and must learn to adapt to a world of silence. An oh, introspective no. journey into the vortex of our senses, tinkering with cinema's boundaries. Who's playing? That stars um, Edgar Livengood. Oh, I've not heard of him. Livengood? Hmm. Oh, Livengood. As himself. Oh, wow. Is it, a docu- is it a documentary or has he just had the people, the actual people play oh. play the roles? Oh, who's the... Just to say, oh, very interesting. It's drama, so uh, yeah, and uh, I mean that's so fucking Derek Sean France, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's just a, it's another film that's going to etch its way into my heart. <laughs> um, it's 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 a real crime that he hasn't been uh, uh, lauded like I think he mm. should be. Yeah, um, he's got just such a natural talent, and uh, a couple of his films may take may require a bit of patience, but it, it pays off dividends. Yeah, definitely. He's a really emotional sort of filmmaker, and I think that really mm. shows in his films. <laughs> what a ridiculous yep. thing to say. Okay. <laughs> As opposed to in his eyebrows, where it might show. <laughs> Lynn Ramsey. Lynn Ramsey may be mm. one of the most important directors working today because she is capable of that pure cinema that people write about. She is able to use the medium to its absolute fullest potential, marrying sound and image to maximum effect, dialing back things like dialogue and um, exposition. Um, no monologues, ever. <laughs> no narration. <laughs> Just get inside the head and live in there. Um, if you haven't heard of her, um, and I will be discussing why maybe you haven't in a moment, I can't recommend the four feature films that she has made enough. So, mm. the films are, first of all, Ratcatcher. Is it here? What? Is it here? That girl gives me the creeps. Do you know about the wee boy down there? No. Ryan Quinn? Mm-hmm. Uh, 1999, it's about a um, kid living in Glasgow in 1977, I think it is, um, during the full-scale sort of bin men uh, strikes which uh, means there's filth just piling up on the streets. The ki- It's very unhygienic. It's dangerous. It's pretty bleak. The housing is bad. It's currently undergoing the process of sort of modernization and people are being selected to move on to better places, but it's mm. taking a while to get around to everyone and this kid's family is sort of just left in the limbo 
waiting for news. And the kid is playing in a filthy canal with his friend when the friend they're roughhousing and the friend dies, uh, drowns. And he thinks nobody saw him. <clears throat> nobody saw him do it, so he runs away. And then it's basically just about the guilt he feels. But at no stage are we afforded a flashback. Nor do we ever hear him, like, say or tell anyone what he's feeling. What he's feeling is purely explored through this boy, his acting, his face, and the way Lynn Ramsey just sort of captures him in this incredibly bleak environment. Um, and yet also echoes of hope. There's a sequence where he takes the bus to the end of the line and finds a house there which overlooks a huge wheat field, and he goes running about in it, and... I don't know, the bleakness of it and the fact that it concerns itself with working class children did remind me of something by like the Darden brothers, very particularly mm. The Promise, um, which uh, has a similar sort of story of a boy dealing with guilt and trying to rectify things. Except that Lynn Ramsey's film is full of sort of wonder and fantasy. There's a sequence where a mouse is tied to a balloon and sort of let go, and we see the mouse sort of fly up to the moon and land on the moon and sort of mm -hmm. be with his little rat friends that are up there. Um, so it's got that sense of wonder to it and that extraordinary visual strength that um, Ramsey's going to bring to all of her films. And the film also mm. has Tommy Flanagan. Do you know who I mean when I say Tommy ah, Flanagan? The guy with the scars. Yes, he's a very familiar face yeah. to most people. He was in Gladiator, Face Off, Braveheart, yeah. all the good ones. Um, <laughs> so that's Ratcatcher. Um, next, unfortunately, is the only one I didn't manage to see. Uh, there is a reason for mm -hmm. that. It's Morven Collar. Uh, Samantha Mawson plays a woman who wakes up to find that her boyfriend has killed himself in her flat. Um, yeah. Having written a note on the computer before going, she lies about where he is for a few days and then decides to get rid of the body uh, and then tries to get the novel that he wrote before he killed himself uh, published. So again, it's a film which seems to be about mysterious motivations, um, not quite ever getting fully inside Samantha Morton's head, but instead trying to tell the story purely visually. Um, I didn't see it because it was actually quite difficult to see it for a while. There does seem to have been a reprint now, so there's some, there are some affordable copies out there. Uh, for a while, it okay. was one of those things where it was like several hundred pounds for the DVD, but it's out there now, so get hold of a copy. It, I, I've got one on order, but it didn't arrive in time, so I genuinely can't wait to watch it. Cool. After that, she took some time off and made We Need to Talk About Kevin in 2011. Yes. Adaptation of Lionel Shriver's um, sort of best-selling book, and I think mm -hmm. one that sort of was disadvantaged by that. Um, the story is of a woman who is played by Tilda Swinton here, and mm -hmm. her son is responsible for a high school massacre, I think is revealed pretty early on. <laughs> he is a sort of mass murderer of um, his fellow students. Uh, the exact details of which aren't revealed until much later on. In that way, it sort of serves mm. like a in-cold-blood crime story of sort of keeping the grisly mm. details back until the very end. It's mainly about, though, Tilda Swinton's turmoil. And again, we're not going to get narration. We're not going to get anything sort of spoken directly to us. It's just going to be from looks, the way she sets up her frame, the way that we sort of see little details and how they change and what they mean, and extraordinary central performances from... Um, Tilda Swinton and um, is it Ezra Miller playing Kevin? Ez yeah, Ezra Miller. Ezra. Miller. Yeah. Yeah. The, yes, the Ezra Flash. Miller. Yes, the Flash himself, who is extraordinary <laughs> as sort of young um, yeah. Kevin, uh, very charismatic and very disturbing. Um, yeah. 
And very much like the novel, it's this brilliant insight into the complexity of mo- uh, parenthood, not even just motherhood. Just yeah. um, For me, it was always about the scary idea that a number of people go into parenthood, not because they want to, but because they're afraid of things getting to be too late, which is definitely mm-hmm. the motive given in the book. And then what if you do that, and rather than feeling that um, un... What's the word? Uh, sort of... Not unrequited. <laughs> Love that, you know... Unconditional love. Mm. That'll be it. Mm-hmm. I, to, I have to look it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not familiar with that concept. <laughs> Wait, without any clauses? <laughs> Madness. <laughs> um, what if you don't feel that unconditional love? What if you have this kid yeah. and you feel nothing towards him? What if that fucks him up mm. and ruins him and turns him into the next Hitler? You know, that sort of yeah. anxiety is very much at the centre yeah. of the thing. It's just about fucking. Do you know what that means? The boy puts his pee-pee in the girl's doo-doo. Haven't you ever wished you had somebody else around to play with? No. You might like it. What if I don't like it? Then you get used to it. Just because you're used to something doesn't mean you like it. You're used to me. What really scared me about that was the mm. the fact that it's out of her control completely. Yeah. Uh, from a very early point yeah. in the... In the in the book and the film is such a good adaptation of the book mm. um there's this this sense of it just spiraling spiraling completely out of her control yeah really early on absolutely it's, it's devastating absolutely it is um I, I do think it was slightly in the shadow of the book because the book is able to execute the twist arguably better in terms of story it has more mm. build-up because there's uh, something that's been happening throughout the book that is then subverted by the reveal but the yeah. film the film, in the same way that the book is sort of incredibly inventive with the sort of way in which books can be written and the, um, yeah. is it epistolary? One of the best epistolary novels, That's the yeah. Ones, yeah. The epistolary nature of it and what you can do to sort of move around assumptions. I've always thought one of the best things about novels and literature as a medium is your capacity for ambiguity. The fact that, you know, you can describe something without showing it. Yeah. Um, for example, in Game of Thrones, you can say, and then there was a character who had a scar and a, a long beard, and everybody's like, oh my god, that might be him or him or him. Whereas, yeah. you know, in a visual medium, you'd have to show them, and then it's like, oh, it's him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, in the same way, just uh, the movie makes full use of cinema as an art form and just really mm. tells this story just through that medium. And I think it's gorgeous. I mean, certain sequences, like Tilda Swinton's idealized view of her days of travel when she's at that festival where the red stuff's being thrown around and she's just being carried <laughs> yeah. through it it that sticks with you mm. and just the 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 sadness of the small details like the little bedroom that she's keeping for kevin you know when and if he ever gets out and decides that he wants to be her son again mm. it's a heartbreaking film aside from anything else it's a film that i remember in images mm. more than lines yeah definitely um, it's, it's it's very you know uh, it's just a sequence of extremely powerful images. Yeah. Whether it's baleful stares from Kevin or just these these great ideas of Tilda Swinton's character. Yeah. Um, just to be sort of shit on by this horrible demon <laughs> child. Yeah. Um, but also her coldness and aloofness sometimes. Yeah. I feel like that's handled really well. The fact that when Kevin does yeah. do something shitty, rather than get angry with him, she just looks broken. <laughs> and you wonder how that gnaws away at the kid. Yeah, it toes that line that's that's a major thing in the book is mm. you know this thing of un- an unreliable narrator. Yeah, who you know where does the blame lie? Is mm. there blame? Exactly. Um, yeah, and it is there, and again, just through these <coughs> images that are scorched on my mind's eye. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Um, I've already spoken about her fourth film, um, You Were Never Really Here, in my top ten of the year last year list. You have kids, Joe? No. Nina. Her name is Nina. I've heard of these places. <sighs> Underage girls. Senator, if she's there, I'll get her. McCleary said you were brutal. And it can be. It's just a story about a thug, really, about a fixer who goes around beating people up, and it's about mm. the humanity at his heart. It's one of Joaquin Phoenix's best roles. It's, again, a visually stunning film. Mm. You know how in Drive you never get a sense of Ryan Gosling's backstory? Well, yeah. here you get glimpses, just enough that you might piece together some of the horrible things that have happened to Joe um, without anything ever being sort of too overt. Mm. But it's, again, a, a, just a stunningly beautiful film because it's life as explored by Joe. It sort of has the My Stars as... Um, my Stars the Destination style thing, where you're taking on the perspective right. of a character that normally the film would not be about. But his perspective okay. is just so sort of beautiful. It's, um, and disturbed. Okay. <laughs> That's really interesting. I, li- I like the sound of that. With mm. the, the, the novel of Drive, actually, mm. it's, for me, the character, I mean, he's given backstory, but it's right. so overt that it, it really shatters the, yeah. the mystique of the character. Yeah, you'll definitely get mystique from this. <laughs> okay, I do like Mystique. I like some Mystiques. Well, Mystique could be nice, but... <laughs> you know, who's got the time for it, mate? <laughs> so, one of the things that you may have noticed about her is that she brilliantly blends sort of genre of movies and art movies. You know, mm. there's sort of thriller aspects to all of these films and, you know, some fairly horrific aspects and some, you know, action-y parts. Yep. But she's going to subvert expectations every time and she's going to deliver an experience that mm. you've never sort of had before and I think any opportunity to see these films on the big screen should be relished because um, that's what she's making them for relished relished because that's what she's making them for she's making them for the cinema and it's just one of those filmmakers who rather than focusing on story or any other concern is fixated on making a cinematic experience and I think that's great Yeah, she hasn't quite hit the big time yet and I think part of that is because of her beautiful determination not to accept shit um Mm. she was attached to the lovely bones the film the film adaptation of the book she walked away because the producers were being too religiously stuck on the book um and she found that really stifling so she left and peter jackson came in and have you seen the the lovely bones film no it wasn't great from what i've heard it was not great no it was um it it was just basically a defanged version of the book you know of any of the sort of more provocative elements or interesting yeah. characterization taken out and um it was visually striking although yeah. one can't help but think what lynn ramsey would have done with those fuck- with the fucking afterlife you know yeah. just rendered in even full. the child murder <laughs> even the child murder you know. which is fairly uncomfortable i mean peter jackson makes very okay. functionally good films even the worst of them mm. but it is definitely his weakest film i feel it's the one i oh, remember wow. the least weaker weaker than the hobbit <laughs> yeah probably well maybe not christ the, maybe not the first one Okay. Well, the Can't go lower one. than zero fangs. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And then she was also attached to Jane Got a Gun. I don't know if you remember. It was the Natalie Portman film a few years ago. Mm. Western. Um, and again, <laughs> she walked away from that because she was getting too much interference. The guy who directed okay. Warrior, a film we both like, came in. Mm. Um, but apparently delivered on something that is very tonally inconsistent and fairly dull throughout. 
I haven't actually seen okay. it, so I can't comment, but it does sound like it was really right. missing Ramsey's yeah. presence. So Also, those mechanical spiders are really out of place. I mean, really. I mean, whose idea was that? Fucking John Peters. Um, I don't remember if that was his name, but fuck you, John Peters. <laughs> John Snow, probably. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Him too. So Age Channel 4 presenter. <laughs> so if things are shit, she's just going to walk away, and she's going to make more short films that she loves doing. Mm. Um, she's not going to compromise on her vision, and, you know, unfortunately, it looks like she's getting a lot of shtick. You know, she's being opposed a lot, and I'm hoping that maybe after this one, she might now finally get her due. But then again, she has been making incredible films since the 90s, so... Mm. I don't know. I hope it gets easier because her future is very interesting. She's constantly mm. talked about wanting to remake Moby Dick as a sci-fi film. Moby Dick in wow. space. Okay. You know, and there's wonderful capacity there for a sort of... I hope that's the title. Yeah. <laughs> that's how she always Moby refers Dick to it. Moby Dick in space. <laughs> Moby Dick in space. <laughs> you know, there's great capacity there for some sort of weird star beast that the captain, you know, mm. refuses to give up on in revenge for his crew. Yeah. And there's all these action sequences where they're sort of taking it on. And I want to see that. God damn it. So Fuck yeah. Somebody give her money and then get out of her way. You know, she's one of those. Fucking Phoenix was billed as the whale. <laughs> it's gonna be great. He's fucking put on. Brr. He's put on thirty thousand tons of actual weight. <laughs> <laughs> she's one of those directors like Christopher Nolan. Just wind her up and let her go. You know, just <laughs> give her the money <laughs> and then come back in a year and she'll have a film for you. You mean figuratively, not like ah, uh, you're putting on weight. Ah, oh, come on, Lynn. <laughs> See a couple of spots there. Yeah, piss her go, off. Go, use it. Piss her off and watch <laughs> her go. That's the. That's the model here. But um, no, I love Rylan Ramsey, and I really hope that she starts mm. getting sort of more control over her projects on a bigger scale soon. Mm. We need this voice. Yeah, I can't wait to finally watch the film that you've been banging on about for half a year. <laughs> You're going to hate it. You're going to hate it and Under the Silver Lake. <laughs> I'm going to watch it on a phone, though, to see if she turns up and eats the phone. <laughs> she will. She'll come around. It's meant for cinema, she says. Okay, shall we quick fire some good things? Yeah. Okay. First one, 2017, Martin Freeman, Cargo. This country changing. Sick. We all get sick. You get sick too. It was released, uh, released on Netflix, and then it wasn't released on Netflix. It had a cinema <laughs> run, and who knows what the fuck's going on with it nowadays. But Currently um, on VHS. After an epidemic... Yeah, <laughs> get it on Betamax. <laughs> Martin Freeman's Cargo, uh, directed by Ben Howling and Yolanda Ramker. After an epidemic spread all over Australia, a father searches for someone willing to protect his daughter. Um, it's it, it starts off incredibly, incredibly uncomfortably tense. Um, some really great horror beats in it, mm. um, and then it becomes uh, like a, a, moder- a moderately touching story about this guy's relationship with this uh, Aboriginal girl. But then it becomes a really nice. Uh, story of fatherhood um, c- come the end um, it's got quite a lot going on about it it really makes the most of its stark the stark Australian uh, outback <laughs> and I really can't emphasise how tense and scary it is at times beautiful, I can't wait to see it, that sounds really cool um, yeah. my first one is Lake Mungo, an Australian horror film from a few years ago now mm. I feel like something bad is going to happen to me it hasn't reached me yet, but it's on its way. Family and friends the normally tranquil setting of Ararat to pay their final respects to a young woman taken too soon. 
Ten days after Ellie's funeral, stuff started happening around the house. Sounds seemed to come from Ellie's old room. So I thought, well, I'll just set up a camera to, you know, see anything. I looked back and there was footage of a figure moving across the hallway. Yeah, it's about a um, a young girl who um, drowns in a uh, nearby reservoir. And her family okay. sort of, it's a mockumentary style thing. So it's a documentary sort of mm. fixated on the family. Um, and after the death, some strange things start to happen. And then it kind of preempts all of these true crime documentaries that are now becoming so popular because it's sort of paced that way with revelation after revelation coming out throughout the film's run about who the girl was, the nature of the haunting, and it all builds up to a climax that is fucking terrifying. Like, it really upset me when the time I saw it. There's a very dark concept at the heart of the thing, which... It's very much like Twin Peaks in that way, you know? Once all the subplots and the side characters have fallen away, there is a very dark thing that is at the heart of the thing that happened, the actual crime in which she disappeared. Um, okay. And it's it's just worth watching for it being a sort of mystery box that, you know, keeps opening and keeps unraveling. Um, and it's very naturally acted by what I assume are unprofessional actors. It's just a really interesting horror film and a very novel one as well. Great. Cool. Okay, my next one is uh, the Trey Parker, Matt Stone film you might not have seen. <laughs> Orgasmo! Yay! Hi, fellas, I'm ready to fudge. Oh my gosh! You want me on top? No, no, uh, I'll be on top. You're gonna make me come, or I'm gonna kick your butt. <laughs> Get in! Come on now! Trey Parker plays a naive young Mormon called Joe Young who's uh, recruited to act in porn movies. Mm. It's done with trademark South Park disregard for political correctness mm. and fear of offending anyone. It's it's kind of it's lewd without being, you know, actually a porn film. Mm. Uh, without actually being hardcore or even softcore, I would say. Not even a nipple. I don't think we see a nipple. Oh. I hate this film. No, forget it. But it's <laughs> it's consistent. It's very like fast with the last, very consistent. Yeah. It's... Trey Parker and Matt Stone are their creative sharpest. Yeah. I think creative so. sharpest? Yeah. yeah. They're creative sharpie. I, I, I would think so. I mean, there's lots lots of sex jokes with a sort of goofy superhero story t- tied in. Yeah. Watch it. If you like, if you like South Park and all that. <laughs> Early South Park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my next one is Three Iron, um, or as it was called ah. in Korean, Empty House, which is a much fucking better name for it. Should have been called that. It's a film by uh, Kim Ki-duk, who's a uh, South Korean director who's extraordinarily good. All of the films I've seen of his are just brilliant. And this one's, um, I think, my favorite. It's about a guy who enjoys breaking into people's homes when they're not there and sort of just living their lives whilst he's in there. He fixes some things. He cleans some clothes. He just pretends (laughs) to be living in this home until the owners come back, at which point he runs. Um, only in one instance, he falls in love with the woman whose house he's broken into. And weirdly, she falls in love back through some contrivances. Um, he then has to try and figure out a way of continuing to live in this woman's house um, without her husband knowing. So he becomes a sort of ghost in the end. But mm. it's a film that's very much not about its plot. It's about the, the pacing and the atmosphere and um, how it's going to tell its stories. Like a, a number of my films you know today have been Mm. it's a really sweet story it's a very strange one as well um and it's it feels very 
sort of South Korean slash Japanese in terms of its um, handling of loneliness, the sort of eccentric oh. behavior and sort of, right, yeah. hey, maybe this is an answer to modern life. I find it horrific. <laughs> well, you would, wouldn't you, fucking <laughs> Englishman? Uh, okay. The Myrowitz story is another Noah Baumbach film. Yeah. New and selected. Close, pra- close parenthesis. It's one of the best Adam Sandler performances that you'll ever see is Ben Stiller at his uh, dramatic best. Yeah. Um, really harkening back to the Royal Tenenbaums kind of levels. Dustin Hoffman, it's really good to see him doing something really good again after I sort of stopped watching his Meet the Fuckers bullshit. Yeah. And Elizabeth Marvel as the uh, the sister to Sandler and Ben Stiller. All very, very good. All kind of... She's incredibly deadpan. Um the Adam Sandler is just an absolute histrionic hypochondriac mess sort of neurotic yeah catastrophe and Ben Ben Stiller is sort of he's got little flashes of his father in his uh, aloofness and his abruptness and it's just such a well-crafted scene of a family mm-hmm. um it's it's really charmingly funny um touching in places without sort of tugging on the heartstrings all that much it's a a, a series of episodes that um, go seamlessly together. Okay, uh, my next one is Dead or Alive 2 Birds. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I was having a... This is unrelated to the video Shock game, Shock and terror. <laughs> Shock and terror. Okay. Unrelated to the video games and um, its film adaptation, this is Takeshi Miike's uh, second part of his Dead or Alive trilogy that he made in um, 2000. Now, I was having a bit of a Takeshi mm. Miike uh, retrospective of a couple of his mm. uh, sort of better known i'm not watching all 100 films but um some of his better known films and the films that i remember from being a kid and i think i only got as far as dead or alive one as a kid dead or alive one is sort of very provocative it has a lot of extreme stuff and stuff that's clearly there to offend sensibilities but not much of a sense of fun or a real reason for being there beyond its sort of written purpose which has aged a little the second one on the other hand is exactly what i was hoping for to catch uk it's a cult action film two hitmen go after okay. the same target they find out that they're actually childhood friends they go back to their home where they have some very surreal experiences in revisiting their childhood including a absolutely perverse um school play <laughs> that involves right. a sort of very uh, rapey kind of forest god who's beaten into submission by various other characters um it's just sheer craziness meanwhile back in um where they've left which i assume is tokyo it's usually Tokyo with Mike. Um, mm-hmm. The gangs have sort of gone on into an all-out war, and the two men ultimately decide that they're going to abandon their hitman ways and instead go after bad guys and go out of their ways, be nice to people wherever they can. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fucking hilarious. It's really <laughs> it's really exciting. The action sequences are sort of John Woo style explosions. It's surreal. In that way that Mike often is, there's a scene, there's a moment where the two men just sort of uh, develop angel wings for no reasons, no reason. Mm-hmm. And it, it, this one feels more Tarantino than anything else because of the, the sort of, or should I say Rodriguez? It feels more like uh, Rodriguez, I think, um, especially the okay. opening sequence in which the uh, a guy, a sort of lowly guy, explains the uh, premise of the two uh, gangs that are after each other and a third gang that's hoping to benefit from their conflict using cigarette packets and he acts out the conflict um with actual sound effects and sort of music so it's very comical in that way 
Um, it's just good fun. Really good fun. Mm, cool. Yeah. Well, my final one, to mm. go back to uh, the bottomless well of Australian cinema. Oh, yeah. Is 1997 cult classic The Castle. Hmm. Our Crescent was going to be the heart of a major housing development, but it never got up. They reckon the planes put people off. Them and the power lines. Not Dad. He reckons power lines are a reminder of man's ability to generate electricity. He's always saying great things like that. Now, any, everyone from Australia and maybe a couple of people from around the world will know exactly what I'm talking about. I only saw it for the first time about six months ago. Ah. So there were the perks, perks of having an Australian partner. Um, it's about a working class family from Melbourne uh, who fight City Hall after being told they've got to vacate their home to allow for uh, an airport expansion, I think it is. And it's about this, you know, this fairly sort of uneducated family bumbling their way through this, le- this legal process yeah um only barely understanding anything that's going on um mm. but the, the the family dynamic is just amazing the dad uh daryl is the ultimate movie dad as far as i'm concerned <laughs> he's the nice the nicest guy who just accepts all of his family's mediocrities as miracles right um when it when it comes to his his wife put um bringing out uh dishes he's sort of he sits back and goes ah oh, love what do you call this chicken chicken <laughs> like yeah. he's just been fucking handed call on blur um his 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 kids who are pretty dull stuff they're uh, uh, just a dull stuff just, son ge- <laughs> you're a dull boy billy that that like it just has nothing but kindness and love for them um, and this is one of eric banner's first roles Ooh. as poida um does he cut his own like, ears proper- off at any stage um he tries to but uh. The director Darryl has to rest, wrestle him down. He's like, I love you, Eric. Stop <laughs> it. Don't do this to yourself. Every, every, everyone is sort of innocently dull and oh. and dumb. And it's a really heartwarming film, but with just ama- amazing comedy moments and enough catchphrases mm. to keep uh, Peter K going <laughs> for 10 lifetimes. But good. That's exactly what I wanted from this film. Really worth watching. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. My final one is a film that's probably not all that obscure. You may well have heard of it, but I watched it for the first time a couple days ago and I was blown away by how good it was. Uh, This is Point Blank. Walker is an emotional and primitive man. Do you remember when we met? Suddenly, we were together. Lee Marvin is Walker, the hunter, and the hunted. Uh, The 1967 neo-noir film by John Borman of Deliverance and um, Zardoz fame. Um, (laughs) We may well experience a John Borman film at some stage if we ever decide to do The Exorcist 2, Heretic. (laughs) But Point Blank was early on for him, and it's fucking great. It's just brilliant. It's it's, um, your classic... um, thriller crime story plot um a guy Mm. is convinced by his friend to go on one last job um so he brings his wife with him and they go and do this robbery on alcatraz island i believe they mow Mm. down a whole bunch of people and take the money and then oh no the guy and his wife um betray him and leave him for dead on alcatraz island uh with a bullet in his gut he gets better and um Mm. he goes off to claim revenge on his former wife his uh, former friend, 
and all the people who are soon to be formerly living. It's just a fantastic... So any film that you can think of that's made in the last 50 years that's a sort of very conventional crime premise but done very artfully, like um, The Driver mm. or A Thief or Drive or even You Were Never Really Here, owes something to point blank. It feels like a, a real original in that sense. It's just cool, quite violent, very funny in places, quite um, mm. silly here and there. But just with sheer filmmaking bravado. Yeah, just fucking Lee Marvin busting into a room and fucking unloading his um, ridiculously large um, gun, which is the gun that Dirty Harry would eventually end up using, the M29. Right. The 44 Magnum. And it's just... Which he apparently had to fake the recoil on, because <laughs> it wasn't moving when he was firing it. And they were like, we need this gun to look powerful. Can you pretend that it's moving your fucking powerful wrist? <laughs> Even Oof. a little bit. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> oh, it hurt my Lee Marvin hand. <laughs> <laughs> nothing hurts the Lee Marvin hand. <laughs> Fucking nothing. Face uh, it. <laughs> I don't know how obscure it is, especially since it was inducted into the Library of Congress uh, two years ago. Um, I don't even know what that is. I think I, I saw one critic describe it as a brutal melodrama. That's what it is, and it's it's sort of nice. very camp and very colourful and mm. just so much fucking fun. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Amazing stuff. <laughs> Some really good recommendations there, then. Yeah, I think so. Some real avant-garde-style art films yeah. slash genre movies. <laughs> and Orgasmo. And Orgasmo, which is neither genre film nor avant-garde. <laughs> nor film. <laughs> it's an idea that Matt, Matt Stone, <laughs> I don't know their names, and Trey Parker. Is that correct? There you go. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, you got it. <laughs> yay. Oh, <laughs> good day. Oh, mate. <laughs> Did it all by yourself. <laughs> God, on that positive note. On that on that great note, Paul, how can people find out about the Pauls? Ah, oh, well, if you want to just sling some some Paul style praise our way, then yeah. get on Twitter, get on the Facebook. It's OGT Pod. You can send an email OGTPod at gmail dot com. That's dot com, Paul. Yeah. If you want to subscribe and do so on iTunes, on Stitcher, yep. uh, on Podbean, on YouTube, you can do it on all the things, baby. Just <laughs> get do on it. It feels good. Yeah, <laughs> just get on it any way you want. Swivel it. right down on it, and let us know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> let us know um, if you watch any of these things. Like, um, what you think of them? Yeah, yeah. Get back to us. With, that would uh, be great. Our success rate. <laughs> yeah, or if you've seen them and yeah. you agree or disagree, just let let us know. Let us know how big a pair of feckless twats we really are. We need to know. Oh. How else will we know if you don't tell us? <laughs> Our mothers? They <laughs> won't tell us. No matter how hard we press. <laughs> we haven't tried... We haven't asked each other's mothers yet, though. I oh, think there we've you got go. a much better chance. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of other Paul? Uh, you mean <laughs> my son, other Paul? Please don't call me that. <laughs> <laughs> so, with, with that. all of that, thanks, everyone. Thanks um, for listening, everyone. Yeah. I'm Paul yeah, Salt. Really. I'm Paul Goodman. And remember, another thing you might have missed is another slew of really excellent films that you should watch. But don't get overwhelmed. You'll be fine. Too late.